This year is shaping up to be an enormously important year for higher education in Australia. The Albanese government is aiming to deliver a so-called Universities Accord by December. It'll be the product of a review that's empowered to examine almost every aspect of tertiary education and could make recommendation for deep and serious changes. Well, ahead of that review, and in the wake of the pandemic, which was so traumatic for students and staff, the author and writer Michael Wesley has been thinking about what Australians really do feel about their universities. He called it an act of self-therapy, and I'll test why. Michael is Deputy Vice-Chancellor of International at the University of Melbourne, and he's the author of a new book, Mind of the Nation. Welcome back to the program, Michael. Thanks, Geraldine. Lovely to be back. Uh, so why was this bit of self-therapy needed? <laughs> well, look, I, um, I moved into a Deputy Vice-Chancellor role at the University of Melbourne uh, just before the pandemic hit in, um, in late 2019. And uh, once the pandemic hit, uh, we were all um, engaged in really trying to keep the university afloat with uh, borders closed, with campuses shut down, with everything moving online. It was, they, they were really, you know, awful, tense times um, of really trying to trying to get everything together and keep everything together. And I remember um, uh, reading the media uh, as I've done all my life, and I couldn't believe the amount of vitriol that was coming out towards uh, Australia's universities. Um, and uh, it, it, it just struck me, uh, why is it that there is uh, so much anger and ambivalence towards universities when uh, Australia's universities are educating more and more Australians? We've gone from um, university education, uh, educated Australians being uh, around about 6% of the population uh, back in the early 1960s to almost half of all Australians now have a university degree. And, and that was a paradox. And so really writing this book was a, was a way of uh, kind of finding some, some form of reconciliation between uh, the, the awfulness of, uh, of the pandemic and uh, the, the, the vitriol that, you know, seemed to be coming out of the, the airways and the, the pages of newspapers. Yes, it was quite intriguing. And I remember we covered it several times. Um, I mean, oddly enough, you say that uh, Australian universities were in a better position to weather COVID than many other realms of Australian life, that unis had already started a move to online learning, for instance, and you thought there might be cause for quiet celebration at the resilience of unis determined to carry on. But that's not how things played out. Um, now, d d could you link, have you come to a conclusion, and we'll, we'll flesh it out uh, because it is complicated, but uh, the fact that there was no praise for the quick reversion to online, the cleverness there. Um, did that surprise you in particular? It did. I mean, I think um, what what the pandemic really brought out was uh, it was a, a period, I think, of intense introspection. Um, Australians could no longer go on holidays. They could no longer go out. They were often trapped at home. And so it became a period where I, I think we as a nation and as a society really did start to think deeply about what we cared about and what angered us and what 
um, we missed and all of the other things. And I think it was a period in which um, uh, there, there was a kind of a, a flowering of, or, or coming out of the subconscious of a lot of attitudes that um, had been festering about Australia's universities over the last 30 years. And really the conclusion I come to is that uh, the, the the vast expansion of the Australian university sector that's happened uh, really since uh, the mid-1980s has pulled universities away from an ideal that Australians have about what, Australia, what, what universities should be. And I think that's led to uh, a great deal of, of antagonism, anger and, and ambivalence. Yes. I mean, you quote, you have some, it's very helpful in a way. You, you quote um, Manning, uh, not Manning Clark, Donald Horn, for instance, uh, who wrote way back um, in the 60s, wasn't he, with um, A Lucky Country, that in fact, Australia, and I'm going to quote it here, that in a sense, Australia does not have a mind. Intellectual life exists, but has no established relation to practical life. And that <laughs> for Horn, Australia's universities were marginalised. They were places where, quotes, clever men nurse the wounds of public indifference. So you really tried, I think, to go broader than usual in seeking, it is like a psychoanalysis of the Australian psyche, I suppose. So is there sort of a, well, to try to develop that, that, it seems counter counterintuitive. That's what I'm getting at. That just as we're going to university, so much achieving, we're so educated. Is there an ambivalence about that? Yeah. Look, uh, it, it, there there are a number of um, elements to it, Geraldine. And and can I just say what a master craftsman as a writer Donald Horn was. Certainly. That 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 phrase, clever, where clever men nurse the wounds of public indifference, is just just fantastic. Look, um, I think. Uh, a, a number of things have happened. One is that our universities have become very big. Um, uh, they've become huge by world standards. Um, uh, you know, the the average, if you divide the number of, Austra of students by the number of universities, the average size of an Australian university is around about 36,000 students. Um, that is three times the size of the average uh, British university and something like eight times the size of the average American university. So our universities have become these very big institutions in, in which I think students can often struggle uh, to be seen as an individual and, and, and treated as an individual. Um, I think also um, universities have been forced... Uh, to become more corporate than Australians would be comfortable with. I think that um, in the, it, well, I argue in the book that uh, that subliminally uh, Australians expect universities to be sort of sublime institutions that are just interested in knowledge and just interested in teaching, whereas actually um, universities have become billion-dollar enterprises, big commercial concerns, um, and people are uncomfortable with that as well. The last thing I would say, Geraldine, is that um, I think that uh, we have started to value university education solely in economic terms. Now, of course, um, you know, universities are important to the economy and, of course, people do go to university because they want to get 
uh, good jobs and have good careers. But universities about, are about more than the economy and they're about more than economic outcomes. And I think we've lost sight of that. So there's a whole range of reasons that I think disillusion has, has kicked in. And is this disillusion mirrored in other countries? Is it particularly us, this ambivalence or these sort of three words you, you know, you use, agnosticism, aspiration and antagonism, all leading to a sort of deep ambivalence uh, towards the universities? Now, is that happening in the UK, the US, Japan, for instance? Look, it, it's very interesting. I, I, I gave a seminar on the book at the University of Pennsylvania earlier this year and I thought, as I was going through it, I thought, um, this is going to seem completely, um, uh, you know, otherworldly to these American academics in this elite Ivy League institution. And afterwards, they all said to me, uh, if you'd taken out the word Australia and put America in, um, this this all would have uh, resonated here. I think there are elements uh, of this as well in the UK when I talk to colleagues there as well. Um, but I think what's different in Australia is that our universities don't resonate culturally as they do in Britain or America. You know, uh, one part in the book I talk about how many cultural references in, in popular culture in Britain and America there are to universities, whereas, you know, you've really got to search very hard before you find any popular cultural references in Australia to our universities. And I think that's a really interesting uh, absence in this in this country. Um, and yet uh, Australian universities cultivate links with industry to help f- uh, solve important so- social problems. They compete in terms of research output and commercialisation and we occasionally see that sort of really lionised. Um, so there is engagement with the community, but is it too obtuse or something? Uh, it's not, I mean, this is just so interesting, isn't it? It's not the way people thought it would be, higher education. Like if you're right that there's sort of some es- expectation of a sublime um, indifference to a lot of the ways of the world, that it floats above it, and it, but it contributes to it, <laughs> that sort of beautiful, um, you know, quinella. Um you know, is there, I wonder what the way out of this is. Yeah, it was, it's really interesting. <clears throat> when, um, when, I, when I was going through uh, at the drafts of the book, um, Andrew Norton, the professor of higher education at the ANU, was kind enough to give me a, a very detailed uh, feedback on, on the manuscript. And he actually wrote to me and he said, why, why are universities so precious about all of this? You know, why can't they just see themselves as service providers like banks or insurance companies like airlines? And he said, you know, people dislike banks and they dislike airlines, but they still use their services. So why don't universities just get on with it? And I, it, that really caused me to think deeply. Mm. And I think um, the reason uh, why universities need to be um, concerned is that we do operate and we need to operate with a, a sense of social licence, that um, people get angry with banks and airlines and insurance companies because of what they do. People are angry with universities because of what they have become. And I think there is a real difference there. Um, I think Australians generally, while they aspire for to get to university or for their kids to get to university, 
they want that relationship not to be transactional. They want it to be a transformative experience. And I, I think universities have to have to continue to keep that in mind and make sure that, that they aren't just providing a transactional service, that we need to be very focused on providing a transformative experience. So the rich, some of the ritual, not just the transmission of knowledge, but some of the rituals around it and all of the rest, it, that, that is going to matter, continue to matter, maybe more than university authorities had imagined you, you're sort of suggesting. That's right. And, and, and you know, if you, if you think about it, um, you know, un- universities uh, are very large institutions uh, that are to some extent supported by uh, the public, but they are elite institutions as well that only some people will get into. And uh, to the broader population, universities are places where, uh, you know, clever people uh, spend their time <coughs> thinking great thoughts. Uh, so if you think about it, there is a need to maintain a high level of social licence for what universities are and what they do. I think that's one of the reasons why we talk constantly about the economic benefits to society. But I think we need to talk in broader benefit terms about uh, the important things that universities bring to society, the important places they bring. And I do worry in our economising language that we've lost the ability to appeal to broader society for those broader benefits of universities to society. Has it changed you, do you think, uh, in terms of what you consider you must bring to university life? It certainly has. Um, I, I, I don't do very much teaching anymore, Geraldine, but um, I think that um, uh, when I do step into the classroom, I do think a lot uh, more carefully about every single student in front of me and uh, what what it is that uh, university is uh, intended to, to provide for each student. It, it, it's about more than just imparting a particular body of knowledge. It's about more than setting them up for a particular job. It should be about um, a deep form of education, uh, making them uh, think uh, clearly and deeply, uh, making them comfortable with um, with difference and heterodox opinions and uh, really setting them up to be uh, critical, curious uh, citizens of the world. And Michael Worsley, your thoughts on the split between research and teaching then in terms of what might flow, might this review of higher education that's currently underway, which has a very broad remit, might it consider something in your view, and I wonder whether it should given what you found out, something radical like making some unis research only and some teaching only, which I think, you know, your former boss, Dr Glyn Davis, now in charge of Prime Minister and Cabinet, I think he was tilting very much at that. Look, I think um, from conversations with Jason Clare and Mary O'Kane, I think all um, options are on the table. I think one of the things that people like Glyn Davis have been talking about for some time is that um, Australia, Australia's universities have become all very homogenised. They've become uh, very similar um, in terms of what they offer students and by introducing greater variety into tertiary education options, we might actually find more places for a, gr- for a greater 
um, uh, diversity of students uh, in Australia than simply being you go to university or you, you know, or you go to TAFE or you just don't go. I think increasing that uh, diversity of options within our tertiary sector might actually lead to um, to more positive outcomes in the future. I've just actually got a text here. Students are not heard in this discussion. It is transactional. They can't afford to speak up financially because they can't put their heads above the parapet. Um, the student experience now is like Hunger Games. I suppose in a way that proves your point. Yes, look... Um, <laughs> Whether or not you agree, but... <laughs> uh, look, uh, I, I think certainly at the University of Melbourne, students certainly do speak up. <laughs> um, we have that experience almost weekly. Um, but yes, look, I, I think that um, uh, with two university um, uh, students, of uh, you know, in our family, we do feel the pressure on uh, university students to get on, uh, to get the skills they need to get a job. And as I say to my sons all the time, Geraldine. Uh, yes, getting uh, educated in order to be economically, you know, viable and successful is important, but that is not the only thing that university is about. University is about creating, you know, curious, critical, broad-minded citizens as well. I hope they listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, it's very thought-provoking. It is very thought-provoking. It was for you and it is, I think, for those who read your book. So thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks, Geraldine. Michael Wesley, Deputy Vice-Chancellor uh, of International at the University of Melbourne, and his new book is Mind of the Nation. It's out this month, published by La Trobe University Press. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.